Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody, especially your psych lovers out there. Uh, this is Dr. Simon, and uh, the show, as always, is the stories we live by. And for those of you who have been following this show, you know that uh, the, the theme uh, involves changing stories to maybe live better. Um, that uh, we've all been convinced, especially in the last few years, that uh, if we're really unhappy or our relationships are screwed up, if we're miserable, somehow it's due to uh, something wrong in our body or in our brain. And um, other stories, you know, other, other psychological stories will say it's your childhood. But to me, the first place to look uh, to understand what's going on in ourselves and between ourselves and others uh, involves the kind of stories we live by. And in the past, I've discussed, for example, examining the story that you live by in terms of uh, whether uh, you see perfection as part of it. Are you seriously thinking you're perfect <laughs> or thinking that uh, you're a piece of uh, nothing but the people around you are perfect? And we discussed that. Uh, and again, it's been over and over again the same thing, <coughs> that the uh, stories that we live by, uh, we get trapped in. Uh, we're a character in our story. And often, we really can't understand what's going on and how we add to our own misery unless we step outside of our story and see it from the outside and thereby recreate the, the story we live by and change its perspective. Uh, perspective to me is almost everything in terms of uh, not being locked in to a lifestyle that contributes overly to our own misery. And again, let me say that there's enough that life can do to us with illness, disease, uh, uh, unfairness, um, being caught up in all kinds of events that are not of our making to uh, kill us, maim us, and make us unhappy. Uh, the, but the everyday unhappiness, I'll give you an example. Um, I, I, somebody I know uh, where I live who I'm friends with, good friends with, and I care about very much. And this individual kind of sees that very accurately what others can do to him uh, that hurts. And he details these stories, and he holds on to these stories. And I finally said to him, uh, you know, your standards of, of what you expect about people, it seems to me, are impossibly high. It's really very hard to live that way. And he thought for a second. He said, you're right. But I'm principled. I said, okay. I said, but you know, uh, when I used to work with married couples, when I used to do what was called, I called therapy, uh, each one of these people could detail accurately and, and realistically just how the other had hurt them. It was the moment of truth when I would ask them to re-examine the story that they were telling me, but add a dimension. And what is it that you are doing to contribute to the problems that lie between you? Right? So that was one of my favorite shows. It's not you over there and me in here. It's what lies between us. And very often what we don't see is how we've contributed to the thing that the other person is doing to us, even if they did it first. In other words, our reaction, our defensive reactions, are very often invisible to us. Now, today I want to talk about the mind-body connection because I think this is critical to understand. And I apologize in advance if there's a bit of, of philosophy in here. 
and I thought maybe I shouldn't do this show. Uh, again, I was sitting a couple of hours ago poolside where I live, and uh, one of my I said I got to go home early and set my, do my show, set my show up. Uh, what was it? I was asked. I said I'm going to do the mind body connection. Oh, that sounds interesting. Tell me about it. And I started to talk about what I'm going to talk about now. And within 30 seconds, eyes everywhere glazed over. And so if your eyes glaze over, what the hell? Let their eyes glaze over. Um, I have to say this anyway, and for those of you who follow it and think about it, maybe it will add a dimension to your story that you yourself will discover makes it better for you. Now, by the way, I don't know if it will make it better for you. Maybe it will make it worse if you take seriously what I'm saying. Um, I don't think I'm telling the truth. It's just my truth not the truth. I don't think that uh, what I'm talking about necessarily makes things better. It just made it better for me and for some of the people I've worked with or who have followed uh, or changed this story. I can tell you that what I'm going to talk about now uh, comes from a lot of it uh, is congruent with Buddhism, with the religion of Buddhism. And I think that uh, uh, Eastern philosophies in general can be, you don't have to follow them or believe them, but I think they can be an antidote for some of the uh, serious problems that we're enveloped in, in the stories we grow up with in Western culture. And one of them has to do with mind and body and the connection. Now, when I say mind-body connection, I'm glad to say that, because there was a time that nobody took seriously that the mind and body could influence each other. There was the physical body over here, and there was the psychological over there, and one had nothing to do with the other. And that leads to all kinds of serious problems, particularly, for example, psychologists like me, ignoring physical symptoms that patients would bring in. Uh, I mean, one of my favorite stories is somebody I know who was treated uh, uh, for uh, all kinds of psychological problems because they were complaining about uh, spasms in their rectum. You know, this was chalked up to... Um, to uh, homosexual impulses and, and unmet the sexual desires and things related to childhood when all the time this person was uh, developing more and more serious stages of colorectal cancer. Uh, on the other hand, <clears throat> it's a bloody time. It used to be a much bloodier time to try to get any doctor to take seriously uh, that your emotional state, the state you live in, if you're chronically anxious, if you're uh, uh, chronically angry, particularly chronically angry, that this has powerful, profound effects on your uh, physical body. But but, but the problem still is to say there's a mind-body connection suggests that there's a separation between the mind and the body. And I want to talk about that today and see if I can change the story a little for some of you. And I know this is not easy because this is a lifetime of thinking. Uh, that goes into this language. Uh, and it's a societal thing that goes back thousands of years. In Western culture, the story, um, uh, the story that uh, is often told is that we have a soul that inhabits the body. And the, the mind became the secular version of the soul. And the soul is not connected to the body in religious terms. Uh, and, and, and thoughtful people have asked, from the beginning, how does an immaterial soul affect the physical body? Uh, how does that happen? And um, I, I know that people thousands of years ago would ask the same question. How does an immaterial God shape a physical universe? Where's the connection? 
And for many, many years uh, uh, in Western culture, that was not asked. And then when it was asked, the, the person who answered it first was a fellow by the name of Descartes a few hundred years ago who said that the soul, or he called it the mind now, he secularized it, connects to the body by the pineal gland. And it tilts the pineal gland, and we're sort of like a robot. Um, and and this, this robot moves as the soul uh, or the mind directs it to. And I think this is nonsensical, and certainly you then have to ask, well, how does this, mind, which doesn't exist as a corporeal thing, uh, connect up to the, the body, which is physical and touchable. So why do I persist in this? I'll tell you why, because more and more people do believe that the mind is like a thing, and they take drugs for it, whether they're drugs that are legal or drugs that are illegal. And this, to me, is becoming a more serious problem uh, than ever before. It turns out that at this point, between 10 and 15% of all the adults in the United States are taking legal psychiatric drugs. That represents 25, 35, maybe 40 million people. We know there are about 10 million children on psychiatric drugs. If you add to that the number of people who are heavily drinking or taking illegal drugs, uh, it really becomes kind of terrifying. And what is underlying this is not merely that the person feels better or sometimes feels better, for a short period of time when they're dealing with these drugs. But they somehow believe that the mind can be given a pill. It's a thing. Okay? So when I even say I have a body, I have a mind, the mind takes in the same characteristics in that sentence as the body. It becomes a noun, a person, place, or thing, a thing. And what I want to suggest that we don't have minds at all, that we don't have a mind that is a thing, and we don't have something ephemeral or spiritual hanging around inside of us. And again, if you're religious, you can just discount all of this. But as a scientist, I really have to think this through. Um, and, and again, if you're religious, I don't think you believe that your soul will do better with Prozac. Um, the Prozac affects your brain. Alcohol affects your brain. Marijuana affects your brain. But there's this belief somehow that if the mind is real, it sits inside the brain and gets affected by it in that way. Somehow there's a connection, maybe at the pineal gland, maybe someplace else. The ancient Romans believed that the heart was the connection between the spirit and the body. Uh, all kinds of interesting historical things. Now it's the brain, uh, because we know that the brain has a lot to do with psychological activity. So how, how could I switch this around? And then what would be the implications? Or, or how could you do a little better maybe by thinking differently about having a mind. Simple. We don't have a mind in my story. We mind. Now, let me, let me explain that using the idea of imagination. People would say, you have a good or I have a bad imagination, as if I have a mind and I have an imagination like I have keys or a brain or a nose on my face. And I don't believe that's proper. I don't think we have an imagination. I think we imagine. It's an activity. It's something the body does. So mind is what the body does in interaction with the world. Mind is activity. I think. I feel. I imagine. The whole collective of psychological activities, the things I do... 
And this includes, I play tennis, I watch television. And since often, as we grow older, we're watching what we watch, we're thinking about what we think, it creates this feeling that these thoughts are real. But I don't believe we have thoughts. I think we think, and I think we think about thinking. Now, this sounds a little weird until you think about it. Right? And I hope you will think about it. I hope your eyes are not glazing over. I hope you're not hanging up, if that's the case. And if you're going to come to the show on, as an archive later, I hope you follow through the next 17 minutes and think about the fact that our minds are the effect of our activity in relation to others, ourselves, and the world around us. I see you. Now, what, what is necessary for me to see you? There has to be a real you there. I'm assuming we're not hallucinating now, although that's a possibility. And there has to be a me. That is, if there were no body, if there were no brain and no eyes and no muscles and nothing else, there would be no seeing. There is nothing like a spirit or a ghost in the machine that does the seeing. It's a physical activity, but it has psychological consequences. So, without the physical, there would be no psychological. But the psychological then has to be understood, not in terms of just what's the brain, for example, that allows the processing to do the seeing. It can't be done that way because you're not in my brain. You're out there. I'm talking to you. And I assume that you're a living, thinking person who is out there hearing me. No you, there's nothing to hear. No me, and there's nothing to say. The, the, and there's nothing meaningful that takes place. The psychological stuff is what is meaningful for us. Right? Can't be reduced to the physical, but without the physical, without our brain, our muscles, our mouths, our ears, our eyes, our nose, there is nothing psychological that will take place. I don't believe after I die, my spirit or my mind will live on after me. It'll live on in my books. Maybe people will remember my broadcasts. Hopefully my children will remember me. And my, I'm glad that my grandchildren are old enough <clears throat> to have a good thought about me or a memory about me and my wife so that we could live on in their memory, in their thinking of us, in their remembering, see, I slip into that. They don't have a memory. They remember. It is an activity. It's something that is done. So what are the implications of this? What, what are the implications? If you're unhappy, you have to do different. You have to live different. I think I once mentioned on this show something that a student said that really caused me goosebumps. I had said to the class, you are what you do. You are what you say. You are what you think. You are what you imagine. You are what you read. And I was talking about the importance of reading at the time. Right? You want to develop your thinking. You want to develop your language. Read. Read good stuff. If it's a little difficult for you, uh, at first, that's fine. It'll get easier if you stay with it. Okay? But we're living in a country right now where easy is the word. Press the easy button. Isn't that a great ad? 
Just press the easy button, and it's done. I don't think it works that way. I really have never found it works that way in my own life. I've never had anybody I ever worked with who I didn't say to, go back and get your high school degree. And they would say, what does that have to do with my mental health? What does that have to do with my life? I said, do differently, you are different. Right? Uh, the student who said to me, again, I'll go back to that story, she said, when she came up, she said, I think that if that's true, I'm a television program, and I'm going to be canceled, and I won't exist anymore. And she really did change her life dramatically, very dramatically. Um, a student who once said to me, uh, my book was so hard, I said, Try to stay with it. See what happens. And came back at the end of the semester and said, how come the last chapter is so much easier than the first chapter? And I said, the last chapter is harder than the first chapter. because it depends upon the first chapter. I said, now go back and reread the first chapter. And she came back the next day and she said, my God, it's not easier. I read better. You want to have a better mind? Read better. You want to have a better mind? Practice hitting the tennis ball more. You want to have a better mind? Turn off the trash on television that you know as you're sitting there is mind candy and process something. You want to feel better? You want to think better? You're depressed? Get up and walk a few miles and add a few miles to that. Come back. Take a hot bath. Do something nice for yourself. Uh, I think start using different language. Language, again, I did the show a couple of weeks ago. I have more listener response to that than any show I've ever done before. It's interesting. Stop calling yourself names. Describe yourself. And when you describe yourself, you come up with what you do, what you think, what you feel in simple, clear language. So now you're not focusing on your mind. And you're not going to live with the crazy idea that if you're really depressed and unhappy, you can fix your mind with a drug. Now, I'm again, I'm not against drugs. I have a wonderful Italian wine that I'm going to open up in about an hour. Uh, what time is it now? Ooh, 20 after 4. Less than an hour. 5 o'clock. It's cocktail time. And I have a terrific bottle I bought today of a San Giovese, recommended highly by my wine merchant, my local wine merchant, and I'm going to partake. And I usually do feel much, much better after a couple of glasses of wine, even if I'm feeling all right. I feel even better than that. But I know that I'm not fixing my mind. What I'm doing is distorting my brain so that the way it produces thoughts and feelings is different. And that may be wonderful unless I have to get into a car or I want to play tennis or have a serious card game with somebody. All of that depends upon a body that is not altered by some kind of chemical. Okay? So, go back to school. You want to really improve your mental health. Go to college. You don't even have to go in and get a degree. I think degrees are overrated. Well, unfortunately, in our culture, the degree very often is the key to get you a good job, but you still have to do the job. Take a couple of courses in English literature. Take the math course you've always avoided. Do it. Okay. This is what I think changes our minds. Because 
nothing changes as a noun. You mind differently. That is, the psychological activity of thinking, of feeling, of perceiving, of generally behaving changes. And as you reflect on that, you say, boy, am I changed. Boy, am I the improved version of what I should, would do. This, this conversation I had before with the friend who complains about what people do to him with great accuracy, and I said, after you think about that, think about what you've contributed, and if you think there's something you have contributed, go say you're sorry. Apologize. Say to this other person, I'd like to talk about what lies between us, what goes on between us. Now, I don't know if he's going to do that or not. It's not my issue to even bring it up again. But I know after 40 years of working with people, the profound changes in how they think and feel about themselves and their lives, the profound changes that take place when an individual says to somebody, I'm sorry for what I contributed to the in the difficulties that lie between us. I really am. I'm very sorry for what happened between us. Can we talk about it? Now, the person you're trying with it could be Attila the Hun. They may see it as a way of getting over on you. They may see this as, as a weakness on your part. You may see this as a weakness on your part. Although from long, long experience, I believe that that's where real psychological strength comes from. From being vulnerable because if you're not open to change you're not vulnerable and if you're not vulnerable you're not open for change so you're having a horrible day what are you doing to add to it I know you can tell me and you're right that you're a victim of circumstance that you're a victim of your boss that you're a victim of this and that you are we're all victims But maybe you're a victim also of the story you live by. Okay? Maybe you don't see certain connections. Maybe you don't see the look on your own face and that you're walking around in a perpetual state of anger. And that anger is not just mental. Without your body, there would be no feelings. Without cortisol pumping up your blood pressure, there'd be no anger. Without the fear that motivates the anger, there'd be no anger. These things are connected. These things sort of have to be part of. They have to be contained within the story that we're aware of and that the story we live by. Otherwise, we live with the same old story. And someone is always hurting you, and you're always somebody's victim. And don't see the connection between your reprisal against them and what you add to your own misery. Okay. Uh, I don't know if this makes any sense to anybody. And uh, if it does, it does. If it doesn't, I hope you'll think about it, and maybe it will. What else? Any callers? Anybody still there? I don't know. But that's okay. I really wish that... Uh, we would stop this business of mind and body and understand that we have a body that minds. That mind is psychological activity. 
And without a body, without a brain, without eyes and ears and our skin, there'd be no psychological activity. I guess one other issue is uh, whenever I would, would see people I called patients, whenever I did therapy, uh, I would ask them uh, about their sleeping. I think that if you're not sleeping, I did a show on sleep some time ago, a couple of weeks ago. I, I erased that. I hated that show anyway. Um, uh, you can't be psychologically functioning as you might want to or differently in a way that might, you might experience makes things better. Um, I used to ask, when was your last physical? Uh, do you take a multivitamin? Uh, it's amazing how many people are not healthy and then wonder why they're depressed. And it's not that they're sick, but they're not healthy. And there's a tremendous difference between being healthy and sick. You can be uh, what most Americans, I think, are at this point, not sick, but not healthy. That is, they're not in physical tip-top shape. If they walk a half a mile, uh, they start to collapse. Uh, if they're tremendously overweight and not fit. By the way, don't anybody tell you that uh, just because you may be overweight I'm not talking about really obese. I'm not talking about uh, corpulence. I'm not talking about that. Uh, but if you're really fit and you're some pounds overweight, I'm not sure that that is uh, going to really shorten your life or that you're really unhealthy. Again, the, the uh, medical police are always watching and always uh, looking to see uh, you know, where we're failing at something <clears throat> so that usually they can sell us something that we not only didn't, don't need, but didn't want until we were told about how important this crap was for us, whatever it happens to be. You know, vitamins that don't work and, and uh, health food stuff. You go into a health food store, your head can spin with the claims being made for, for stuff. Um, uh, so, so you have to be really healthy, and fit is important. And here I can go forever on diet. Uh, I think a lot of our children are not doing well in school because their food is so awfully deficient in vitamins and minerals and nutrients that are needed for the brain and the body to function appropriately and deal with the incoming information that the teacher or the book might provide uh, that they not, absolutely can't uh, uh, do well in school or do well academically over the long run. So that I think diet is incredibly important. Uh, again, if you're poor, it's hard to really get a good diet. Um, the stuff that the cheap stuff in the in the regular public, uh, you know, public uh, stores, in the supermarkets, uh, my God, you read the list of chemicals. Uh, the, the soils are depleted of vitamins and minerals in this country. Um, all kinds of food alteration. I think if you ever see, you want to do better in life, and you see high fructose corn syrup, put it down whether it's a bottle, a jar, or a box, and get the hell out of there and buy something uh, that doesn't have high fructose corn syrup or that has real grain uh, without sugar, fresh fruits, vegetables. Unfortunately, more and more of what I buy is expensive because it's organic, and I really have to hope it genuinely is organic and that somebody is not uh, selling me a bill of goods. Just this morning on the news, uh, Bottled water, most of it has been shown to come right out of somebody's tap and being sold for ridiculous millions of dollars of, of uh, increased value uh, that they could have in their own pockets. 
uh, and do better in life without just drinking from the tap because we've been convinced that our water supply is uh, so dangerous and probably is, but uh, the stuff that goes into the bottles is mostly just as dangerous because it comes out of the same tap. Well, anyway, ladies, gentlemen, boys and girls, um, I see the people who started uh, sort of left. I think I may be talking into air by myself, but that's okay. As always, I feel a hell of a lot better for saying this. Um, Sometimes I believe America is dying, and I don't think we can bring it back with intelligent conversation, with facts, with ideas. It may have to die. But maybe we have to do, uh, like somebody said, uh, a good book that I title I can't really remember, but it was a good book anyway. Uh, if anybody wants to know, I could find it out for them. That suggested that we act, those of us who can and want, like the monks in the Middle Ages, uh, preserve the knowledge from the past until time uh, comes around that people become more interested in biting down on something intellectually real so that they think better and clearer rather than sit and watch moronic television or listen to empty music uh, that uh, somehow is, you know, again, brain candy or, or mind candy that doesn't ask them to exercise and struggle with something so as to become better. Uh, the sign in the gym is no pain, no gain, and I think the same is true for the development of our intellectual abilities, our mental abilities. Okay, have a wonderful one for whoever's there or a wonderful one for whoever will be there. This is Dr. Simon. I'll be off the air for the next two weeks. I'm going up to New York. My beautiful grandson is having his bar mitzvah. I can't believe I'm an old fart who has a grandson about to become a young man. And I will be missing the next two Mondays. And uh, so I'll either schedule something that following week or three Mondays from today. Goodbye.